Hey, Eddie. How's it going, man? We're back. <laughs> Tough Another loss again. game show. Oh, don't say loss. That, uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to be dramatic here, but that pain hurts. Um, back-to-back games, no points out of the back-to-backs against two quality teams. As the Ducks fall to the Dallas Stars 2-1 to tonight, it was a, took a long, drastic breath to get that out just because watching this game just made me cringe after the Getzloff goal, which we'll get to here in a bit. Ducks fall here against the team they beat recently. Um, don't really say you can fall goaltending, huh? Nah, not really. Uh, I mean, the way Miller's played, not just in this game, but the last time he played Dallas, is kind of almost a carbon copy of that game. And, yeah, I mean, you can't blame him. I mean, the, the goals, one was a tip by Shore. Well, they were both tips, right? So it was Shore and Ben tipping them in. And Ben. Yeah, so you can't really blame Miller on much. He pretty much played as well as he could in this game, and, and the Ducks just look tired. I mean, it's coming off a back-to-back, and it's a tough game, tough loss against Nashville, and they were just running out of gas, really, about halfway through the third period. Yeah, so just a, a desperate act by the Ducks to try to hold on to a lead after the first period. It just kind of just dwindled away piece by piece throughout the second. It was just a an onslaught we saw coming there in the third. Let's get to the pregame before we get the show started. Eddie, let's talk about some lineup changes. Jason Chimera out. Our speedy grit leader guy, he's gone. <laughs> uh, Grant, who is, it was the uh, the offensive powerhouse while uh, the Ducks were injured and, and uh, just waiting for somebody to try to come up through there in the ranks, and he provided the offense early on in the season. He gets the axe tonight. And then Kevin Bieksa, fan favorite, he's out in favor of the likes of uh, JT Brown, Antoine Vermette, and Pedersen steps in for Bieksa there. What are your thoughts on those lineup changes? Is that something you expected? I, I think we expected the Pedersen one, but uh, kind of interesting. I mean, not all that impactful uh, with, with Chimera and Grant out and Vermette and JT Brown in, but you know, what do you take on that? I was surprised to see Bieksa, or sorry, not uh, Boschman come back in. He's a guy that you, we've kind of expected now to not play back-to-backs. And for right. him to come in in this one and BX would be out, I guess. I mean, I guess they're in the same position, really, aren't they? That now they're at the point in their careers where they really shouldn't be playing back to backs, but you're at the point with the way this team's built that you got to play one of them. Uh, they go with Boschman, and he didn't look bad. I, I can't complain. I think the only thing is, I, I, I would have liked to see Derek Grant continue to stay in the lineup. I, I think he's played his way at least onto that fourth line. I, I think it would have been a better option in there. Then Antoine Vermette, happy that JT Brown came back in. Uh, obviously didn't make much of an impact, but the fourth line didn't really get much going in this game. But it was just nice to see him back because I think he was kind of getting the short end of the stick being put out for Chimera and Kelly. Yeah, I know that fourth line getting about six to seven minutes of ice time. I, I'm really curious as to why Vermette uh, was playing in this game. I mean, I mean, he's he's definitely not the guy with the legs under him to keep up with the competition in the NHL anymore. And it's just, like you said, curious why Grant gets the, gets the boot out of the lineup. But, you know, Carlisle's made some interesting um, lineup changes, you know, talking about last game with pulling Pedersen out and mixing up the D pairs there when they had a really great thing working for him, going 7-1-1 before the loss last night. And then uh, tonight getting another regulation lost, uh, a loss. And then the other curious thing about this game is they give up two power play goals, which we're going to get into here that uh, set them up for the loss. But uh, the one thing we did expect and the one thing that didn't disappoint in Anaheim or for Anaheim was Ryan Miller. He gets the the start uh, on the second half of, ba- of the back-to-back 
I felt like he played really well and did everything he could to hold the Ducks in with some key saves there on Tyler Sagan at times. But uh, like you said earlier, uh, there's just nothing the Ducks could have really done on those tip plays. Um, but, I mean, how do you feel about this team, you know, getting a three-day break? you think they're going to be able to uh, to get geared up and, and uh, play hard and heavy on Monday against St. Louis? Or is this something that Ducks fans we should be worried about going into the stretch? Uh, I think it's kind of a mix of both, and it reminds me a bit – of the back-to-back games before the trade deadline where they played Arizona and Edmonton. And obviously Nashville and Dallas are better teams. But, you know, the Ducks didn't play... I don't think they played awful in these two games. They definitely didn't deserve to win, but it wasn't like they got dominated by Nashville for the entire game. They made it close. I think, obviously, Nashville deserved to win that game. And this one, it was more that the Ducks played a pretty good 40 minutes. Uh, The second period was shaky at times. And then they just got tired, and you could see it. And they got a little bit complacent. Yeah, Dallas got a couple bounces with the two tip goals, and, and you end up losing the game, and you don't get any points from the, the back-to-back games. And I think they'll, they'll rest up, like you said, come back against St. Louis, hopefully have a strong game because St. Louis is a team that's been slumping. Uh, and you kind of need to win this one with the way the standings are. You can't lose three games in a row at this point in the season with so little games left. You know, the points are premium, and, and, you know, they're not really battling, I guess you could say, with St. Louis, uh, but it doesn't matter at this point. you got to pretty much win every game and get as many points as you can. No, I absolutely agree with that. So on that note, Eddie, let's start the show, man, get the intro rolling. Let's get, let's get started breaking down this loss. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. It just it just feels nice coming into that intro, doesn't it? It just feels so much better than the way we went into it before. All the classic scoring plays, the the the, you know, the Corey Perry with Edmonton last season, the Tamu Solani of the Stanley Cup year, and then, of course, my favorite player of all time, and I think he was yours, Paul Correa, coming yeah. back from being laid out by Stevens back in 03 and putting up a goal on Berger there. Yeah, of course, all the great times in Anaheim of uh, yesteryear and a long time ago. Um, and here we are today, hoping this team can get through and make it to the Stanley Cup playoffs just right now. Um, getting started in that first period, though, I thought we were going to get on the board early with a power play. Um, what'd you see with that play, man? I, I just felt like it was just a whole lot of nothing. And it was just curious because that's, it was very much not what we've seen recently. Yeah. And it was, you know, the same power play setup we've seen. That's having a little bit of more success than in the past. And it wasn't, wasn't really just this power play either. They didn't really get a lot going offensively on any of the power play chances they had, and pretty much in the entire game. I, th- I think Dallas was clearly the, the well-rested team coming into this game. But, yeah, I mean, the, you, when you get a power play that early, if you, at least if you're not going to score, you got to get something going, getting some momentum, and, and they just did nothing. They just had nothing going. Dallas did a good job uh, setting up on the penalty kill, and, and the Ducks just had no offense going whatsoever. Both these teams coming off a loss to Nashville, interestingly enough, Dallas, obviously, the more rested team. I know the broadcast started talking about 
in this period, the first period about how both teams are playing hard in between the whistles, but after the whistle, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're sucking wind or they're dogging it a bit. And I was like, what are you talking about? I mean, maybe Anaheim, but I mean, Dallas has had several days to recuperate here. I don't, I don't know what they're trying to say. And this is a must win for both teams. Really Dallas yeah. is fighting in that wild card spot. So it makes sense that they would have that push, but you would figure the same push would be on Anaheim because they shouldn't be trying to sit around and coast through this. So it was just very disappointing to see that power play really not make anything happen at all. I mean, 48 seconds in, you have a chance on the road to get on the board, and they couldn't do it. And, you know, after that power play, I mean, Silverberg just missed the pass by Pedersen in the high slot. And then it was Dallas. Dallas buzzing around here, getting some chances. Miller getting the, you know, the bids turned aside. I mean, I really felt like Dallas carried the majority of the play. And then as you walk up on the goal uh, by Ryan Getzloff, which was just a beauty of a shot. Yeah. It was interesting the way the, the Ducks kind of took advantage of that. I mean, the Ducks were able to uh, to thwart the play. Hamus, I think, pinched in too deep, shot in on Miller. Miller kicks it to the slot to Raquel over to Perry to Getzloff two-on-one and just he went top corner. Yeah, and that's why they ask him to shoot more often because he's got a shot like that. Uh, we, we've seen it from countless times. I mean, he's a guy who can, who can really shoot the puck. Obviously, his strength... Uh, is, is his ability to pass the puck, but wow, I, I mean that was just a great shot. You really couldn't pick it any any higher than that in the top corner, and it is a great play. And and this line continues to click. Obviously, it's not Raquel who ends up getting the goal in this one. It, it's Getzlaff, but they these guys just lately have got on another level, and, and that's what you expect. I mean, you have to have your top line firing on all cylinders going this late into the season. Uh, unfortunately, nobody else really stepped up in the entire game other than this line. But, hey, I mean, I can't complain. It's nice to see Getz get back on the board as well. No, it's true. He gets his 50th point of the season. as He got his 10th goal, which honestly would be nice um, if, they w- if he would have been healthy the rest of this year because he would be close to being in the 80-90 uh, point range. Uh, he has yeah. 44 games, 50 points right now, so he's right around that average where he could be close. Uh, would have been another monster year for Ryan Getzloff, and you know, Dmitry Filipovich even tweeted out, you know, from Sportsnet that, uh, you know, we don't talk about Ryan Getzloff and just how good he still is, that he's not a young guy anymore, but he's he's still one of the best top centers in the league, wouldn't you say? I mean, he's, he ranks right up there with the best of them. Yeah, he has to. I mean, when you, even when you look at playmakers again, then you put him in, I, I feel like you have to kind of put him in top top five, top three, and just his ability to pass the puck. I feel like Joe Thornton's still up there. He kind of has to be, even with him getting up in age as well. But, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's amazing to me. And I, I, I talk about this with Getzoff a lot. But at his age the, and how fast the game is now, that he still has that ability to slow down the game anytime he gets the puck on his stick. There's not many guys who can do that, especially, like I said, with the way the game's played now. We, we more look to guys like Connor McDavid, who when they get the puck on their stick – can you know change the pace of play with their speed and Getzlaff does the complete opposite which is just it's just even more amazing just just nowadays that he can even continue to do that and he does it just at will yeah. the Ducks are a different team without Ryan Getzlaff on the ice and it wasn't too long ago where people were ripping him I mean do you remember a couple seasons ago they should <laughs> the tra- tear the sea off the trade Getzlaff like- rumors or give Kessler the the captaincy that was like a through a, a rough playoff series for the Ducks or something like that. Yeah, those were the dark days, and I mean he didn't I, he didn't warrant that. wasn't great, but it was like the first time in a long time that he wasn't playing well. 
Uh, and I mean, everybody was just a little bit burned by the fact that the Ducks had just lost out in a, in another late push to the playoffs. But yeah, the, it's unwarranted. I mean, the, the way this guy's played throughout his entire career, the way he's represented the Ducks, I don't think there's any chance he loses the C anytime soon. I mean, you watch a lot of hockey, and I, I know that we could go a deep dive on on a, any kind of analytics about Getzloff yeah. and his line mates and all that, but just. You know, the way you said that he slows the game down, like, I mean, just what do you mean by that? Because you can see it. It's like when, yeah. when he gets the puck, I mean, I'm sure you know, you and I would say the same thing. It's kind of like people are waiting to see what he's going to do rather than just be right on him all of a sudden. And even when they get right on him and they put pressure on him, it's like he's almost able to make that play before they're able to pick up on what he's going to do. Yeah, it's almost an. it's like you have to see it to believe it kind of thing because – Statistically, you can't really look it up and say, yeah, he slows the play down every time he touches the puck. It's just watching him play on a regular basis and just seeing what he can do. And it, it's unbelievable. Like, I'll say it every single time. It's unbelievable the fact that he can still do this at this age and the way the game's played. I, I, I don't know how to explain it better than that. And I think most people listening to this, they've watched enough Ducks games that they probably know what I mean. And, and just the way he controls the game when he's on the ice that's the best way to say it and and of course you can look at the stats and sometimes you, you'll say okay well he's technically not controlling the game but it's just the presence he has when he has the puck and like you said everybody's just waiting for him to make the play that's when you know that they're playing the game at your pace no it's true it's gonna be one of those things when he's uh when he's gone off the ducks that where everyone's kind of like man i don't think we appreciated enough of us how good he was I mean, yeah. he's how many seasons in? One, two, see, ten, 12 seasons into his NHL career. He's in his early 30s. He's in, I mean, the fading years of his prime, right? He's, it's not going to be before too long before we start talking about, like, man, is uh, is he going to sign another one year deal? I think he's going to get, yeah. you know, pull I want to know what that through? next contract's going to be. That's going to be the, uh, the big, if Bob Murray's still here, that's the big move, right? Like, with Perry and Getzloff, what's their next contract going to be? And if it's going to be another like three or four year run, if it's just going to be like the the Sedins, like just a couple one year deals to to last them out, it's got to be something. You know, they're not going to go anywhere right away. Yeah, right. And I, we just spent a ton of time on Getzloff there, but I just feel like he doesn't get enough love across the league. So when I saw that tweet by by Filipovich, I was like, dang man, like I appreciate that guy because we always talk about East Coast bias and how you know no one stays up late to watch the games, but then here's Eddie. You know, you're living in Toronto and you're three <laughs> hours ahead. It's it's almost midnight where you're at and we're here doing a post-game show. So there's a little dive on Getzloff. Ra- Raquel and Perry with the assist. But, I mean, really that whole play was created because of Getzloff and his deception um, and able to take that shot and his wingspan, able to pull that snapshot into him, getting all that power as he drives it through his wheelhouse, as all the guys like to say, and he puts a top corner. Uh, the RPG line was definitely dangerous. But I got to tell you, man, as this game goes on, you know, that uh, that Kasha Henrique line with Richie ended up being pretty dangerous and yeah. in creating chances and breaking a plays so they just couldn't put the puck in, as we'll see as we get into the second period, which, as you posted on Twitter, um, giftless. There yep. was uh, no gifts <laughs> during the second period. Now, why is that? There was literally nothing happening. I, I mean, I agree with you. I think Richie, Kasha, and Henrique for the first time in a while had been noticeable and had been getting things done. I mean, Kasha drew a penalty. Uh, and other than that, like the, I think the only thing I got a gif out of was the Sagan batting the puck out of midair and kind of bounced behind Miller and almost went in. And then Miller just kind of sweeps his glove behind him and keeps it out. That was it. 
Other than that, I was like grabbing like Getzlaff putting a wig on or like Getzlaff's Lucky Charm cereal gift and I was just <laughs> throwing them out during the second intermission because there's there's nothing going on. Like this was I don't know how many times over this last stretch here we've said, Oh, that was a that was a boring game or that was a boring period and it was so defensive in this period. It's like teams were trying to figure each other out. I think Dallas was just waiting the ducks out because I think at some point they knew they were gonna get tired. And they knew that uh, it was wearing on them. And, the, and it was, I mean, it's a good play. It, it's smart by the Dallas Stars to kind of do that. It, it works out for them in the end. And, and I think uh, I think it was a, a huge advantage for them to, to kind of pull that kind of stunt. No, it's true. That second period, the Ducks, I mean, like you, you basically just said to everybody what happened in that second period. It was yeah. boring. Nothing going on. The most exciting play there was Sagan. Uh, Adam Midair on a hell of a play. That guy is so talented. It, it just makes me laugh every time I see that clip of behind the B, you know, the, the behind the scenes show they had in Boston called behind the B where the management team was talking about trading. And oh, like, yeah, <laughs> he's a great that, elite yeah. player, but does he fit our culture? <laughs> <laughs> that's the most dumb. I got to be like, like the dumbest again. words uttered out of that. It was like Louis oh, Erickson, man. Riley Smith. And, uh, I think yeah, there was, it was a couple of picks. Louis Erickson. I remember that. I, I can't remember if that's how, how Boston, Got those three back-to-back first-round picks, but I kind of feel like that's that's was part of the deal that that Sagan ended up going for. It's just insane that you <laughs> a Boston team like that would end up moving him, but it's no surprise that Peter Shirelli's behind it because hey, I mean he's dealt now Sagan and Hall, so yeah. So so that trade was Boston Dallas. It happened on uh, the fourth of July, twenty thirteen. So not all that long ago. Yeah, but they traded. It was a seven-player deal. Tyler Sagan, Rich Peverly, Ryan Button go to the Stars for Louis Erickson, three three prospects: Joe Morrow, Riley Smith, and Matt Frazier. So oh, wow, unbelievable, man! Like, and Riley what, Smith what a, is now what? was then he went to Florida and then he went to Vegas. So what does Boston even have left from, from that deal? I don't think they have nothing. anything. Maybe this they are the nothing. draft picks they got, but that's it. Nothing. Hey, they have a, they're having a hell of a year this year. So yeah, can't complain. But we, as we digress off onto another NHL tangent that nobody cares about because we're, we're like hyping up Sagan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the second period would end. The Ducks would still somehow be scraping onto a one nothing lead. And as we've seen recently with this team, they just like to sit back. And they sat back in that second period. It was a seventeen to four shot advantage advantage for Dallas. More so when you look at the analytics side of things. I know people aren't don't love analytics, but when you talk about a shot issue here, 30 attempts by Dallas compared to 13 by Anaheim. That really just tells you who was carrying the play and who had to make the most saves there. And the Ducks, I felt like they really had a chance with Ben Bishop being injured and uh, and Kari Lettinen being in net, that it was going to be a game the Ducks should be able to take advantage of. It just didn't work out that way for whatever reason. I mean... Is it a coaching thing in this second period where they just need to hold on for dear life? I can't imagine the players are just willingly sitting back like this. I feel like it was just a, a good coaching effort from from Hitchcock. I feel like he played that perfectly, like I said. I, I mean, he kind of knew the Ducks were looking a bit tired. They played a tough game the night before against Nashville, and they just set up well defensively. They are almost like picking their chances, Dallas was, to come out. And, and I mean, they all shot ducks 17 to 4 so you know that they were taking to them offensively but they were just picking their chances they're picking the right moments they had a good structure defensively ducks couldn't get anything going offensively 
and Dallas just kind of waited, waited, waited. Oh, there's a chance. Let's go. And, and then, yeah, I mean, that's all you can do. I, I think that was just – I don't want to say Carlo got outcoached, but that was a, a great strategic move by Dallas to kind of realize what position the Ducks were in at that point. I felt like Dallas didn't overcommit on plays. Ever yeah. since they got burned by Getzloff and Perry on that two-on-one where Hamus kind of dipped in too far on, on the half wall. Yeah, I feel like they didn't overcommit. Like they they were not cut out of position. And you know, Hitchcock hockey is that's defense first. You play from yeah. the net out. Well, like and... let's not forget this is a Dallas team that we you know most people think of they're they're bad defensively because of how bad they've been in the past. But this is a team now who's kind of flipped the script. They used to be one of the best offensive teams in the National Hockey League, and their defense and goaltending was awful. But now this is a team who is fourth in goals against average, and their penalty kill is six. And it's actually goal scoring. That's the issue for them because they're sitting 17th in goals per game. So, they've, yeah, I mean, Ken Hitchcock has just completely flipped the script on that team. And uh, all of a sudden, they're a defense-first team. Yeah, but the other that works out when you have high-end talent. You're able to cash yeah. in on some chances. And, and like you said, though, they are. They, that's what, I was one of the curious things about why they didn't do anything at the deadline was to bring in some scoring because that yeah. was hurting. But uh, they did take advantage of the Ducks here in the third period. I mean, I, I, every time I look at these notes, as I was, as I was jotting them down throughout the game, I just felt like I kept saying, "Dallas is buzzing. Dallas yeah. is buzzing. They're getting chances. They're creating. They're creating uh, havoc around the net." This wasn't a run and gun game. I mean, they, they picked their spots, and you know, Perry takes a dumb penalty here. He closes his hand on the puck, and that's that's a penalty. And even even in the defensive zone, he gets a penalty there. Dallas goes to the power play, and they would convert. It'd be Devin Shore to make it 1-1 on a high tip. Nothing you can say or do to blame Miller there. And I always look for tweets from Ducks fans that are like trying to bash goalies just because I always feel like people try to troll. <laughs> yeah. It was one of the few times I didn't see one. Like I didn't see like, oh, oh wow, I, yeah, that's a surprise. Like, yeah. I just didn't see. I didn't see anything. I mean, there was nothing he could have done on it. I just always like to look. I know every team does that. You try to get people to like to bite on your dumb tweet or bite on your dumb post, but. Nothing Miller could have done there. Devin Shore gets a goal. I never heard of that guy until he until he scored right there. So uh, that was interesting for me. <laughs> I know I'm not no, a huge uh, Dallas guy. On the goalie thing, no Freddie. And Freddie would have stopped that tweet. I feel like those are the oh. ones that you get every now and then where he hasn't played for this team for, what, a year and a half now? And or it's, I don't even know. Maybe, I'm, maybe it's even longer than that. Wow, it's pretty bad that I don't know, but... Yeah, you yeah, see I mean, those every Toronto. now and then. Don't you hear about Freddie enough? I mean, yeah. Freddie's being talked about too much. daily I, for Vesna. I tune it out now. I mean, he was my girlfriend's favorite player when he was there, and I heard about him then, and I hear about him now. I'm tuning it out. I'm trying I'm trying to turn over a new leaf where I don't have to hear about Freddie Anderson every time Gibson lets in a weak goal. Dude, it was June 20th, uh, 2016. All right. Well, a year and a half, I was so right. A year so and a half. There you, we go. Basically spot I on. threw that off the top of my head. So, and that led the way for Jonathan Bernier to come in and disappoint Anaheim against Nashville. But that's another story yeah, for our Let's not get later. into that now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to get into. No, I didn't see any dumb tweets about that. You know, the scariest thing that happened in this game, man, was what yeah. happened to to, uh, to Josh Manson. It looked really, really, really bad. You tweeted a gif out about it, and I think I, I think everyone held their breath. I mean, mm-hmm. he's one of the most pivotal players on this team, especially on the blue line. We're already playing Bieksa and Boschman and rotating him in and out of the lineup with a rookie with Pedersen. At that point, if we saw a serious injury, we were talking about bringing up Larson, Megna, Walensky, somebody up for the stretch run. 
which is just not an ideal situation. Uh, thank God he came back. That was scary, right? I mean, yeah. I really thought he caught his eye, and then that would have been the end of everything for this, you know, for for him for the, at least the game, if not longer. It was scary. I didn't even see it initially. I just saw him laying on the ice, and it looked like he was pretty bad. And then when you watch the replay, you can't really even see from the replay how bad it is. You just see a skate getting close to his face, and he obviously goes down in a heap, and he's in pain. Uh, luckily, it didn't turn out to be that bad. You see him when he's on the bench; he's got a nice black eye. But you know he got off lucky there because it could have been a lot worse. He could have got cut in the eye, some severe type of injury right there. Where that's—I mean, if he gets cut in the eye, that's pretty close to season-ending, if not season-ending. I mean, it, depending or, on the severity. Or, or worse, that's so scary, man. Yeah, yeah. Those blades so. are so sharp. We've seen guys' necks get cut, wrists get yeah. cut. There was was it Dan Boyle in Tampa Bay had a skate fall off his yeah. locker because they hang up, and it hit his wrist and split his tendons in his wrist. I believe it was Dan Boyle that happened to, and that put him out for months. It's just oh, anytime it comes to a skate to, to a body part is scary. Yeah. Eric Carlson got his Achilles heel oh, torn from was, it. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many damaging plays. And the fact he wasn't even cut as he's falling to the ice as his skate comes up, just a freak act in the nature of that play. He must have got the butt to it, to his head. Like, he must have got the butt end of it. must have been the butt of the skate. Because it looks like it's just, like, it's probably just a bruised bone or something like that. But, like like we said, I mean, it could have been a lot worse. And, like, maybe not even, like you said, season ending, but it could have been career ending. If he gets cut in the eye and has severe damage to his eye, you know, that... That's a tough thing to come back from. I mean, a la Chris Pronger. I mean, yeah. what happened with him when he played in Philly and he took a stick to the eye? Yeah. I mean, that was the one time I've ever heard a hockey player scream audibly. I mean, granted, there's there's more mics on the ice than you know than you, that, than there ever used to be. But back then, even though it was, it was probably what six seven years ago, maybe I yeah. try to remember what time he retired, but you can hear him yell. It's just frightening. But uh, luckily, Manson comes back. Looks like he's got a nice shiner. That's probably going to be even worse after tonight but uh my buddy dave texts me he's like dude he didn't get cut and i was like what do you mean he didn't get cut and he goes there was no blood on the ice you didn't even see blood on the towel usually your face bleeds really quickly I'm like oh that's a good point so he was like there's no way he's cut he just got kicked in the eye and sure enough it's exactly what it was so thankfully there was no major injury there but as we go on to the third period the ducks tease us here henrique hits the post Fowler with a chance. I thought Fowler hit the post too. I had to go back and look at the replay, but I felt like there was two chances there where the Ducks caught the pipe and were not able to convert. And then the play goes the other way with Dallas getting a partial breakaway, who other than Antoine Roussel, who gets tied up by the guy (laughs) that we've been hoping was in the lineup. And it was Marcus Pedersen who ties him up. I felt like Roussel took a little bit of a dive. Of course he should. He would. That's what everyone does in that situation. Can't really fault him on it. Power play Dallas, which would lead to John Klingberg face, faking the shot off the off the draw from the point and then flipping a puck towards the net. Apparently it hits Jamie Benn, but either way, there's no way Miller was going to get it, no. and it was 2-1 Dallas. This kind of brings up a discussion that I brought up earlier in the season, and I really kind of just don't know what a penalty shot is anymore because Roussel was on a pretty clear breakaway. Pedersen comes in from behind him, takes down. Like you said, we sell a little bit of a dive, but that's what you're going to do on a play like that. And and it is a penalty on Pedersen. There's no question about it. But, I mean, I don't know what they classify as being a penalty shot anymore. I mean, it just seems like 
if you're going to pick a chance for it to be a penalty shot, that would be it. Obviously, it's. I mean, the Ducks are a little bit lucky, I guess, that it wasn't a penalty shot because Dallas still scores on the power play. But it's kind of just an interesting thing. It's like that and goaltender interference. There's a lot of questions up in the air of, of what is what anymore. So I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. But that, I, I felt like that could have been a borderline penalty shot. I, yeah, I mean, even the broadcast thought it was going to be, and I think Allers was like, it could be a penalty shot, and then the Ducks, yeah. they felt like the puck was played, and it w- apparently it wasn't, and they waited, and Hayward's like, oh, it could still be a penalty shot, we just have to see, and then they end up getting the puck, and it turns out to be a power play uh, for Dallas, which they convert on, which would be the game-winning goal there for Jamie Benn, but my thoughts are, you know, it's kind of like, Anytime you leave a play up to the discretion of somebody, it's, it's arbitrary. You're never going to get the same call over and over again. And that, that's why goaltender interference is messed up, too, is because where was the play, where was the goalie clipped? Was he clipped inside the crease, outside the crease? Did someone push him in or not push him in? It's like there's yeah. all these arbitrary rules in the NHL, and that's what makes things, make, makes things blurry. And then anybody who's on the, on the side of the, the losing side of that arbitrary call gets upset about it. Yeah. So it's always And there's nothing like we can do about it. Yeah. Right, there's nothing we can do about it unless you want to rewrite the rule book and just make make it black and white. <laughs> yeah, which nobody wants to do. No, it's not. Know, everyone happen. wants to complain, but nobody wants to do. And I'm a big proponent. Like my whole my whole, my whole point behind uh, being upset about the coaches' challenges is I just want to get rid of all of them. Yeah, just go back and, and accept the fact there's mistakes made. Just that's just what happens. <laughs> just just let it go. I don't want to. I think like, to some extent, I feel like if there's a, I mean, we all the, the reason the offside challenge and everything is in there is because of that like that one Duchesne play where oh, was he was great. like a mile offside and he scored a goal against Nashville. That's why it's there. I feel like that to some extent it, you need it and you need to be able to review those types of plays but I, I feel like you don't need the coach's challenge to do that. I feel like those plays should just be reviewed automatically. Just have a little bit. You don't have to. I mean in, in the break between the goal scoring and the face off drop I feel like that's enough time to take a, a quick look and see if it needs to be reviewed any further without having to have a coach's challenge. But I don't know. I, I, it doesn't really seem like it's something they really want to take out the game. It seems like more something they're just going to tweak until they, they get it the way they want it. Yeah, they don't know what they want to do. They just, yeah. I mean, Batman put out the whole thing where they quit trying to find something. Just look at it, and if it doesn't look bad, then count it as a goal. Yeah. Like if it, Let the call on the ice stand. If it doesn't look bad, let it go. So but we'll see what they do with it. Uh, but the same thing goes with the penalty shot. No one really knows what the hell that is either. It's it's the same. It goes along the same lines. So you're right. But either way, the Ducks aren't able to thwart the power play. Dallas gets the win. It feels like I'm skipping ahead here, but I'm not because the Ducks didn't really generate any offense after that. Even with getting a puck over the glass penalty, Dallas did with about twenty some odd seconds to go. There's like twenty seconds to go. Uh, they weren't able to convert, and it just didn't work out for Anaheim here. As we stated in the pregame, they went uh, 0 for 4 for points in back-to-back games. They fall to the Dallas Stars 2 to 1. Um, and just when everybody was talking about Anaheim having games even across the Pacific Division, now there's other teams in the West that are fighting for them in a playoff spot that have games in hand. And those teams are the likes of San Jose Sharks. Dallas has a game in hand, and Los Angeles has two games in hand. And Colorado has two games in hand, so this is not this is a nervous time for Ducks fans, and it should definitely be a nervous time for Randy Carlisle and the Ducks. Yeah, I mean, it was tough losing to Nashville, but I think it's one we expected, and it made it even tougher the fact that San Jose and uh, and LA won in the same night. Uh, I believe it was what LA beat Washington, San Jose 
beat I don't remember, but they beat somebody, and it doesn't matter who they beat at this point if they're they're getting two points on the Ducks. And all of a sudden, that nice cushy position where you kind of decided your own fate for the time being, uh, it's gone. And like you said, they're two two games back of San Jose with um, with one point behind them. LA's got two games in hand, and they're only one point behind Anaheim. Calgary's even making a push somehow. We I, we talked about how they're out of it. I think it was the last show of the show before it where, like, ah, Calgary's out of it. I mean, they're not going to make a pushback. They're, they were, what, six points away from the Ducks? They they're got two a couple points. wins. Yeah. I, but, I mean, at the time, they were six. Now they're two, and they have uh, the same amount of games played, 69 games played, as Anaheim. And they're right back into the mix, too. So now we're talking about the Ducks being in a position where they might fall out of a playoff spot if they don't get a win in the next couple games. I mean, if they lose Monday. And you have Calgary and San Jose and LA win their next games, you're out of a playoff spot, and you're sitting pretty far down because now Dallas has points on you in that wild card spot, and you've got the other Pacific teams falling into that second wild card spot, and you've just fallen completely out of the playoff race in a three game span. Well, how many games are left? Thirteen. Thirteen games left on the schedule. That's not a lot of time to uh to be getting a skid at this point i mean you're completely right they need to make the best of these points they play the majority of their games at home the rest of the year and they have a good home record i mean they're 19 9 and 5 at home and they need to come around and and make do with that and and put those points up there's nothing else nothing else you can say about that yeah there's very beatable teams in the schedule coming into anaheim the ducks need to play well against um and so i want to get into a uh some discussion here about uh randy carlisle so he's always kind of <laughs> it is because everyone likes to point the finger <clears throat> at Carlisle and I do too. I'm one of those guys. I, I really felt like Boudreaux was the answer in Anaheim and he just wasn't it just wasn't working for whatever reason. I don't know what you want to say about him. If it was goaltending in game sevens or was, oh, you could jump down a hole with Boudreaux. Yeah, but he was obviously the better offensive coach. And looking at Randy Carlisle's team. They're sitting back and getting pummeled night after night after night, and they were pulling off a of wins watching their goalies play hockey. Yeah. And now when you're watching these games, they're not scoring enough to do that. And the last game they got away with it on was was Washington. They really sat back with Washington. It was like, like Remember we talked about it. It wasn't like a, a back-and-forth exciting 4 nothing win. It was like, okay, they scored, but Washington's controlling the play. Yeah. And then uh, we look at the game last night. It's like they didn't decide to play hockey until midway through the third period. Yeah. Like real hockey, they started to come around a little in a second and get some life in that, in that lifeless body of theirs. But is this something that Randy is doing? I mean, do you feel like this is a Carlisle thing? I mean, we know the lineup changes are something to do with him, but I mean, is this really a Carlisle deal? I feel like he's getting bailed out a lot uh, because of the injuries at the beginning of the season. And, and I obviously the Ducks would be in a better spot if they didn't have all those injuries from the start. But that seems to be the go-to excuse at this point for why the Ducks are where they are. Uh, and I think that doesn't take into account a lot of their play recently. And they've been good since Christmas, but there still are a lot of glaring issues with this team. And and again, a lot of the reason that they've been good is because of their goaltenders. Gibson and Miller have been one of the best duos, if not the best duo, in the National Hockey League. They've shared a, a decent amount of time together with Gibson going down with a couple injuries here and there. And 
you're not at this point even where you are without the play from those two guys. And, you know, at times the defense has been suspect and it hasn't really stepped up in, until we had Pedersen come up and we were able to put Lindholm and Manson and Fowler and Montour together and things started looking better. And the consistency up front, it, it kind of flips. At one point, what, we had Henry Kasher and, and Richie for about a five five to ten game span where they were lighting it up and nobody else was getting anything going. Then you had like a, a little bit recently where you had Kessler, Cogley, and Owen Silverberg step up and play well, and now it's Getzlaff, Perry, and Raquel. And you know you've you've always got one line that's playing well, but they don't really ever have a barring like a one night thing where they have a couple lines going, all three lines going, uh, and that's been a, something that's been an issue for them all season. Yeah, the secondary scoring is really hard to come by. Yeah, uh, but. A guy that I've harped on since day one this season and the and most of last season has been, you know, Corey Perry. I want to segue into him and, and be positive here for a minute because there's so much to take away these last two games that are negative. And, you know, we had a, a fan of ours that was listening to us and, and was watching our Twitter. He said he was a jersey tosser. He threw his jersey on the floor tonight. He was so bummed. <laughs> I love the passion from the fans. I kind of felt the same way. It's kind of like they threw away an opportunity here to, to get on the board and put those two points up on the standings. But, Let's talk about Corey Perry. Um, I've been extremely critical of this guy's play, uh, so much so as to talk about how he looks like he just doesn't want the 50-50 pucks. He's not being physical. You know, he's he's not driving to the net as hard as he used to. He's not being the Corey Perry of old. And I guess that's almost unfair for me to keep saying, considering he is old now, right? Yeah. NHL old. He's probably got to change his style of play, which I feel like looking at his point totals this season, he has. What is your take on Corey Perry? Do you think he's finally hit a corner and turned around a little bit this season? Or uh, do you feel like he still has more to give? I, I feel like he is giving all he can at this point. And it's disappointing because I, I want to say he can get back to where he used to be, but I feel like it's kind of beyond him now. I mean, I think this is the guy we're going to get. And... You know, he had 53 points in 82 games last year. What, the Ducks have, is it, uh, how many games do they have left now? Is it? Uh, 13. 13? 13. So he has 13 games left, which would put him at 70. He would have to get literally 13 points in his last 13 games to get to the same point he was last year, obviously in less games. So I think he's playing better. I think he's more noticeable than he was last year, but I think this is what you're going to get. He's more of a guy... He's going to put up more assists now. He's still going to be a guy who puts up about 40 to 50 points, which isn't isn't bad. The thing no. that it comes down to is his contract. And that's what everybody looks at, the fact that he's making over $8 million a year. But you can't say he didn't earn that. I mean, right. it, it was, uh, you know, Getzlaff has the same contract. And, of course, we're saying he still earns that because of his play. But, I mean, at the time, they both deserve that contract. It's unfortunate that one of them has kind of tailed off a bit. But, you know, in any of the day of the week, you'll take a guy in your lineup that's going to consistently put up forty to fifty points. But we're we're just used to seeing so much more from Corey Perry that we kind of just label him as playing bad. But in reality, I feel like the, yeah, good. Sorry, no, I was just saying in reality. No, I, I mean, he's he's just not he's not playing bad. He's just not playing up to the the money that they're paying him. Which is tough to do at his age. And yeah. anytime that you look at that that amount of money, you expect, you know, high level play. But I mean, he's at that age that we just talked about with Getzloff, like you said. And looking at his point totals, I mean, no one really started complaining about Corey Perry until last season. I feel like 
because the season prior to last, he put up 62 points, which is only nine points more than he had last year. Yeah. And I think the issue is the goal scoring. He had 15 more goals in mm-hmm. 2015, 2016. Everyone's talking about Scory Perry. He goes from 43 goals to 33 to 34 to 19 to this year he has 14. He might not even crack 20 goals this year. So it's the scoring I feel like people are harping on him about, not necessarily overall production. They're expecting him to be clutch and put in those pucks. But I feel like I agree with what you said. I think I've been really hard on him, but the game's just kind of slowly passing him by just because due to his age and his injuries. I know that there was a broadcast where – I believe it was Hayward saying that uh, Perry's had to wear braces on both his knees at some points. So he's definitely, we know he has a history of knee injuries and they always call him Gumby. Like he gets hit a bunch and he's always able to bounce back. But yeah, you can only get banged up in the knees so much when you're young before when you're older and you get banged up and it starts to really, you know, be painful and hurt and you have to, you know, wear braces or have surgery or tear something. And these guys play at a high level night after night and practice, you know, all the time. So there's a lot of wear and tear on those legs. And, uh, I got to hand it to him, man. I've been I've been more impressed with his his style of play this season. Now that I've become comfortable as to what my expectations should be as the season has gone on, I've gone from not loving Corey Perry to not and not hating him to liking Corey Perry and like being okay with where he's at. He's not that elite level winger now. He's he's more or less the guy who's just going to be putting up 40, 50 points, which is you know what we expect after a guy what we expect out of a guy like Ryan Kessler. Yeah, right. That same kind of point production. Yeah, and, and I don't think it's fair to hold his contract over him because, like I've already said, I mean, I feel like he deserved that contract when he signed it. And we all knew at some point he wasn't going to be the guy that's going to consistently score 30 goals. And I feel like he's done a lot to change his game to the, to the way it is now. And even still at his age and with the way he played before and the way he plays now, it still takes a lot to get up to 40, 50 points in a season. And I feel like if he was making two, three million dollars less, we wouldn't be hearing about it as much. And that's unfortunate because I still, I still think he's a valuable part of the Ducks' top six. Um, but you know, it, it, again, it, it always will come down to the contract. It's never going to be about anything else. The real underlying issue with why people complain about his play is because of how much money he's making. But then, how come nobody talks about Ryan Kessler's contract? Yeah, that's he's the making thing. almost seven like, million dollars a year. It's like six point seven or six point eight mil. Yeah, I don't know. I, I people, some people do, and I just feel like it's it's kind of like the likability thing. And I'm not saying people hate on Corey Perry, but I think a lot of people like the style of game that Kessler brings. And I, I can think, see that. Yeah, like I'm I'm having a tough time really answering that because I, I honestly do feel he's he's getting overpaid for what he's worth. I feel bad for the guy because he's injured. And, you know, you never – if he doesn't get injured, you don't know if he if he's playing as bad as he is this season. We don't know even if next season after a full summer of rehab if he's even going to be close to what he was before. Uh, and a lot of it comes down to, to age as well. I mean, even without the injury, was he going to still be this type of player just because of him getting older? But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think – his contract is is bad based off his production, but I think the one that stands out again is Corey Perry, and I think there's always going to be the one guy. I think there's only really room for one guy you can rip on for his contract versus his production. Uh, that's why I think Kessler kind of escapes that a bit because Corey Perry is just that one notch a little bit above him. 
No, I understand that. So I could agree with you on that one there. We got some NHL news I want to pop on to before we start answering some listener questions. You're a gamer, right? Yeah. So you play, the, you play NHL online, right, through PS4 or Xbox or whatever. And the NHL is doing something kind of a la, was it, uh, the NBA's done it and soccer's done it. But they're doing a, an eSports worldwide tournament. Yeah. And that is going to be, I think, open registration. Was that today or did they announce it today? I think it was today. I, uh, yeah, I believe open registration is today. So you can register up for the 2018 NHL World Gaming Championship Tournament. But it's it's fairly interesting. Uh, it says here that over four consecutive weekends, it will start on March 24th. Uh, and then it has the European finalists will complete in Sweden on Sunday, May 6th. There will be the Canadian regional finalists who complete in Toronto on May 11th. And then the U.S. regional finalists will compete at NBC Studios on May 20th. So it's interesting. I think there was a matter of time before they kind of hopped up into this field of esports. You know, the NBA kind of kicked everything off a bit with their, about, I think it's about 17 to 20 teams have kind of bought in on the NBA 2K esports league that's starting up in 2018. That's so strange to me. Yeah, I I mean it's it's growing, and I feel like NHL as a game isn't ready for it. <laughs> it's not, you know, like there there has to be a lot of things right with your game. There can't be a lot of underlying issues for it to get to that point where it's competitive enough to to feel like it's it's ready for people to, to compete and play for some big money. Two K's at that point where I think they can do that, and they've obviously got a lot of teams invested in it. FIFA's been at that point for, for a while, and they've got professional teams in in the, the English Premier League who have bought esports teams and brought them into the fold. So, like, Manchester City has their own esports team. PSG has their own esports team. And now all these NBA uh, teams have esports teams. It feels like the NHL is starting with this to kind of test the waters and maybe move into that kind of realm. I, I don't know how you feel, but I think it's be interesting do you think down the road we kind of see them do that kind of thing where they end up, you see like NHL teams, so if the Ducks, for example, go out and get an eSports team, I think it's interesting. I feel like it's something, I think the success of that is based on the success of this tournament. I don't really understand the foray into that. Maybe it's just because... It's money. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's true. Everything's centered around money, but... It's very unlike the NHL to hop on something that the NBA is doing or yeah. that European soccer is doing, right? FIFA. Yeah, I, just, the, I find the it NBA, interesting the NHL is even going to participate in that. Yeah. The NBA is always at the forefront of these types of things. They're usually the ones who are a little bit ahead of the curve. And I, I feel like the NHL is always the one that kind of straggles behind a bit. You know, the, the NFL is usually right there behind the NBA in most things. And then you've got uh, NL, the NHL and then MLB just kind of comes in in last because I, I feel like it's the farthest one behind. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting. And, you know, this type of discussion about the NHL coming in after a lot of things is is what happened with uh, ads on jerseys because the NBA was the first uh, to do that. And then the NHL is kind of coming in saying, oh, we'll see how it works out there and then we'll, we'll decide if it's going to work out here. And it kind of I mean, of course like, it is. Yeah. It's a money-driven sport. Well, the NHL sure, is always yeah. about the money. And it feels like that's what they're doing here. They're saying, oh, well, you know what? 
NBA's done it. They're testing the waters. Their league starts in 2018. We'll run this tournament. We'll see how this tournament goes. See if there's the demand is there. We'll watch how it unfolds with the NBA. See how it goes. And then I feel like they make their ultimate decision after that point. Because they they feel like a league that is not going to take the chance to, do, to be the first ones to do it. And I think we were kind of used to seeing that. And they're going to test out to see how it works in the NBA and then maybe go from there. I mean, there's a couple of things the NHL has been the first at that work to their advantage. Like, they're probably one of the first leagues that decides to have consistent lockouts and lost seasons <laughs> in order to gain popularity amongst the sport again. I mean, I sports knew, never I more popular. I knew this popular. was going to be a sarcastic answer the moment you said the <laughs> NHL was first at doing something. Like, I knew it couldn't hey, hey. be a legit one. <laughs> They were the first at doing that, where they, they figured out if you lock all your fans out of uh, you know being sports nuts and, and their players away, that they'd come back and play and, and make a ton of money. And, the, and the, the positive side of the NHL being the first in something is they're the first to test the professional market in Vegas, and that was just yeah. nothing but a raving success, which, speaking about money, has also turned into Seattle. I mean, all Jeez. you know everything's done and signed there except for the day they start. Yeah. They're gonna. They're getting a team no matter what. I mean, twenty five thousand ticket sales in an hour just crushes but, like, Vegas. How do you not expect that though? Like this is a city that packs the Seahawks Stadium for soccer. Like no, it's true. It's they crazy. had an NBA team. They've way back when they had an NHL team. This is a this is a sports city, and I can't believe that they for one haven't gotten an NBA team back. Uh, and you know they have this, the Thunderbirds in Seattle as well, who are one of the best-selling Canadian Hockey League teams already. You know, you felt like the demand was already there. It was just about getting the funds together to really get a, a re, an arena renovation under underway, and to just get things rolling on, on getting a team and being able to afford the expansion fee, and just kind of getting everything going in the right direction. I'm excited. I feel like this is this is going to be almost better. Than Vegas, I, I didn't expect this in Vegas, to be honest. I thought it was going to fall flat on its face, and it's been one of the best stories in the National Hockey League in a long time. But I feel like Seattle is just going to be nuts. Like That's going to be a difficult place to play, especially when that team's playing well. And if Seattle and Vancouver are ever good at the same time, that's going to be one of the best rivalries in the NHL. No, and it's good for the sport. I think the best thing about it will be watching the, uh, is what we like to call it, the fantasy draft that's going to happen because yeah. all the GMs get swindled apparently when there's an expansion team and these new rules, they don't know what they're trading, what they're doing. So I always look forward to yeah. that one. That's always exciting. Um, and I got to congratulate you on something before we get to listen to questions, Eddie, you guys, <laughs> uh, you know, Canada stole one of our best hockey players in Hillary Knight. Oh yes. I saw that. Yeah. Olympic women's gold medalist from this year goes from uh, the NWHL to the CWHL and is now playing for, is it the Les Canadiens, right? The uh, yeah. the Women's Hockey League up in Canada playing for Montreal. So you guys are bastards and you stole our, one of our favorite <laughs> women athletes. So screw you guys. I believe I, I the last time I looked at the the teams and the, the setup and the, and the rosters in CWHL, I believe Marie-Philippe Pelan is playing with Lake Canadian as well. So you've got the best, arguably the best women's Canadian hockey player playing with the best women's Canadian hockey or best women's American hockey player on yeah, the same team. Yeah, watch your tongue there, man. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, she she's an honorary Canadian now because she's playing oh, she's playing no. in the CWHL. Ditched the NWHL for the CWHL, so I'll take that any day of the week. But yeah, I mean that that's interesting, and that team's just going to be dominant. If they're both on that team, 
arguably some of the best players in the world right now. That's going to be uh, an insane team to watch. And I've watched a couple of those, their games when I can. And uh, it's some exciting hockey to watch. I mean, I think we all watched the Olympics. And it was just great to, to see the hockey there. I mean, nobody I Thank God the NHL watch. was there. I mean, nobody's yeah. going to watch without the NHL there, right? Yeah, I mean, it, but it's good hockey to watch no matter what. I mean, even <laughs> no, it totally was. It's yeah. sarcastic, man. Yeah, For like sure. even even the the year before when the NHL was there. I mean, it's always good hockey to watch the U.S. women's play the Canadian women's team. It's, it's always a good rivalry. They hate each other. I mean, there was a, a bit uh, that they or that they put out before the I think it was the gold medal game. Talk about how like these teams hate each other. They play each other all year. The rivalry is always there. They've always played against each other. Coming up into this point. Uh, and it's like a real hated rivalry, and it's something you don't you don't really see that in the men's because you know the rivalry's there, but a lot of these guys know but each other. But they're all homeboys. Yeah, they're, they're friends boys. off the ice. They're, they all play yeah. in, in the National Hockey League. There's some guys who hate the uh, different other guys, but you don't see it to the same extent where you know these girls are playing against each other every for like. I don't. I don't even know. Like ten, fifteen times a year. It's just insane. I, I mean, that's why the rivalry is so huge. Uh, and it's such exciting hockey to watch. Well, thanks for stealing our best, uh, one of our best women's players there. Um, <laughs> let's cut the NHL and the uh, NWHL, the CWHL talk. Let's get to some of our Ducks questions from our fans that have uh, written into us and have been very patient. Where do you want to start? Do you got the chat open? Do you want to hit Twitter? Do you want to hit Instagram? Yeah, I'll start with the chat. We've got Connor asking a question. So he said, question for later in the show. Um, he said, does Randy's contract expire this year? This team needs to get younger and quicker. We have the personnel in Terry, Steele, and Jones, but we need a coach who can develop young players, and Carlisle can't. So kind of hitting on the last part here, we, this is what we kind of talked about a bit already and in Carlisle's coaching ability. And, you know, I I don't want to say it's all him. because Well, I, he's I got know. a contract just to get that first part. Sorry, he's got a contract yeah. through the – through this year and next year with an option for the additional season from 2019 to 2020. So he's, we've yeah. at least got a 2018, 2019 season. I mean, he can be fired. Yeah, exactly. He can be fired at any point. Him. Yeah. Uh, but he has the option to sign for a, a year after the 2018, 2019 season. So go ahead and continue with that. Sorry. Yeah. I, I don't want to say that Carlisle can't develop young players. I don't, I haven't really seen, like him, him not be able to develop young players. I don't think that's where the issue lies. I mean, Bob Murray sets up the team, gives it to Carlisle, and then he goes with what he's got. So I don't think it's about developing young players as much as it's just about the coaching style and the play style that the Ducks have. I just don't think the confidence is there. I don't think they have the right system and setup to really compete against some of the top teams. We've seen that this season. They still have great players in their lineup, and I still think they're a dangerous team. But they're, from what we've seen, they're still pretty far off from the elite in the National Hockey League and, and what it's going to take to beat teams like Nashville, like Winnipeg, like Tampa Bay, I mean, even Vegas to some extent as well. I mean, I don't think they're quite at that level, and I don't think with Kyle they can really get to that level. I mean, if you look, you just you name those teams. If you look at what Tampa Bay's got, you got an all-world center in his prime, with Steven Stamkos. Yeah. Um, you've got an elite goal-scoring threat on the wing with Kucherov. You have that secondary scoring with Tyler Johnson, point on that team as well as putting in goals. Um, JT Miller's come to that team to uh, take over the wing for uh, Vassal, or is it uh, Nemestikov. You have a Vesna quality goalie in uh, Vasilevsky. 
And then you have the defensive core. I mean, good God, we're talking about uh, Hedman, Strawman, Sergachev, and they just brought over McDonough, who hasn't even played yet. Yeah. Uh, that, that team, you're talking stacked. That is unbelievably stacked with all-star talent. Flip it over to Nashville. You've got a pretty good first-line center with Ryan Johansson. Um, I wouldn't say he's up in the Stamkos class. Uh, he's like that second tier. For me, I don't feel like he's – I mean, how do you feel about him? I feel like he's kind of like a second-tier guy. He's not yeah, overall I feel like he's a center. He's like a 1B, 2A guy. I feel like that's – He's not terrible at any means. He's a very yeah. talented guy. Honestly, I feel like this that team doesn't have a superstar up front. I feel like Philip Forsberg is a great player. And I and I feel like Arvidsson and Johansson, you know, those are great players. I just I don't feel like there's like a guy like a Stamkos or like a Kucherov on that team, but they don't need it because they're such a deep team and they built their way to that. And I, I feel kind of, kind of feel like with what the Ducks have even in their prospect system, that's kind of where they're heading. Like I don't want to get too in depth and off topic, but you know Sam Steele's projected as like a one B two A type of well, guy. Well, you're not off topic. He asked about our depth, right? He mentioned yeah. So I mean Sam well, yeah. Steele, and you're talking about Troy Terry and Max, yeah. and Max Jones. Yeah. So like Steele's like a one B two A type of guy in the same, not in the same mold as Johansson, but like in in projected potential. I feel like Terry and Jones are guys who can eventually mold into the top six, but they're not superstar guys. I feel like Maxim Comtois is the same type of guy as well along those lines. And the Ducks are kind of moving into that direction because once we we don't see Getzlaff, Perry, Kessler anymore, you know, it, it really just falls on the shoulders of Ricardo Raquel and all the young guys coming up. And that's the direction I kind of see the Ducks going. I mean, the blue line is a different question for Nashville. I mean, Subban is a star. And, and Yossi is a borderline star as well. And then you've got guys like Ekholm and Ellis who are good depth guys. Even even Emlin to some extent as well has been a good depth pull for Nashville. So they're not a superstar team, but they're just built so well that it doesn't even matter. The depth is just unreal. Well, you can give up a player like uh, like Seth Jones to get yeah. Ryan Johansson. That tells you something about your blue line depth. P.K. Subban is world class. I, yeah. mean, I would put them up. He's a top three defender, top four defender for me in the NHL. So, yeah, I don't want to talk about Nashville anymore. That was too much heartache yesterday. <laughs> but if you're going to compare the teams, I can see where that would go. Um, but beyond, if you're looking at this team, um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I'm going to get other questions. But if, just to talk about the, the depth on this team coming up through the ranks, I feel like we would know what we're getting out of Nick Cordillis and Cali Costello at this point. And if yeah. they were going to be ultra-effective players, we would see more of them, especially Cordillis. I know he's had some injury history. But uh, the Fords seem to be the weaker side of development. Like I know everyone loves Kevin Waugh, but he's probably a bottom six, middle six guy in NHL. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's going to get sheltered minutes in Anaheim right now. There's so many guys on this team that are stacked up that are taking his, you know, taking the line of spots that people are projecting him to be in. But if you take Corey Perry and Ryan Getzloff and Ryan Kessler off this team, which is awful to think about, but that's in the very near future. This is going to be some retooling on this team, and they're going to have to start playing that. We don't have all-stars on our top end. we got good guys on our top end, but that blue line talent is what the Ducks are counting on, it seems like. Yeah, and, and I feel like we're still, we can still see more from pretty much all these guys in the top four right now. I feel like Lindholm still has more to give down the road. I feel like Montour for sure has more to give. I feel like Fowler and Manson... Are, are kind of at where they're at, but I feel like they can still step it up a bit, especially if the Ducks end up, you know, transitioning and turning over, and, the, and these guys are a little bit older. Come the time the Ducks are able to to make another push, 
I feel like that's the kind of team they're set up for. I I really feel like down the road they're going to be built in, in that way, depending on who they draft later on, of course. And yeah, but, depending on trade too. Yeah, course. but just, just looking at the what they, now. yeah, just looking at what they've built up in their system now. That's the way it seems like they're going. I mean, they've drafted very well, and the and the guys we've talked about, none of them are top twenty picks. Jones is, I think, he went twenty fourth. Steele went thirtieth. Terry was a third round pick. Comtois was a second round pick. You know that's how you transition quickly uh, after a, a cup window that's that's closing right now. You get these guys in later rounds, late in the first when when you're doing well. You get some guys in the third and the second round who can step up into your top six and your top nine, and it's an easy transition. Uh, and it's kind of what Nashville has done and what they're doing right now. I mean, Eli Tolvanen, we talked about him on the last show. He's coming over. He was a 30th overall pick, and he's going to jump right up into their, talks, uh, their top six a year after being drafted. That's the only way you get you get back, you transition quickly, is getting these guys late in the first round or in the second or third round. And the Ducks have done exceptionally well, but there's still a long way to go. I think there's still a lot of holes to fill. And, and once Getzlaff and Perry out of the lineup, like you said, that's going to be... T- very hard to fill the role those guys played, especially Ryan Getzlaff. I mean, you're really not going to replace him, and you're just going to have to build up a lot of depth guys or get really lucky and either have a bad season and pull a top-five pick or pull a guy in the late first round that can kind of replace that type of production. We got another question in the chat, or should we hit the social media? Uh, Hitting the social media. So we got uh, McCann Sanford on Twitter who asked, uh, does Perry get his 10th, 50th point season? He's 10 points away as of right now, just as Getzlaff records his 11th, 50th point season. Um, For me, i got to say yes. Yeah. I feel like he will. I feel he's like got to go on a bit of a tear. Points. Yeah, and he's he needs nine points, right? He has 41 right now, if, I, if I'm correct. I believe so, yeah. If it hasn't Looking been at updated. his stats right now, yeah. 14 goals, 27 assists, 41 points. Yeah, he needs nine points right now. He has five points in his last five games. Um, he's got to average, you know. I mean, he doesn't have to hit a point a game. Be nice, no. get him right over, get over the hump, nice and easy. But he's got to be pretty close there. I'd like to be on the on the nice side of things and uh, give him some credit after I've bashed him all year and say that he's having a better season than what I'm giving him credit for based on what we've already talked about with him. I think he will. What about you? I think it's possible. I mean, this line has to continue playing well because if they slump for five games, I don't think there's any chance of him making it to 50 points. I mean, they've got to be consistently good uh, leading into the playoffs. And, and, I mean, they have to be consistently good for the Ducks to even have a shot at making the playoffs at this point. And, um, yeah, I I, I don't know. It's tough because I feel like Getzlaff and Raquel are playing at another level. I'm not saying Perry's coasting on that line. I think he's contributing a lot. I mean, his setup pass to Raquel in the game against Nashville is unbelievable. So he's still playing, he's still contributing, but I, I feel like he's not pulling as much weight as Getzlaff and Raquel are. Uh, so I, I feel like he comes up just short. I, I feel like they can't continue that consistent play for the rest of the season. I feel like he probably finishes like one or two points short, so about 48, 49 points, unfortunately. Uh, but I wouldn't put it past him, though, to get there. I just, I, In my personal opinion, I feel like he just comes up just, just short. All right, let's get over to uh, a question on Instagram. Is uh, Gorilla Gabe Gorilla X Gabe ninety two says, "Is it time to break up the Kessler line? Have we seen enough of the Kessler Cogliano and Silverberg line where it's time where we where we line shuffle?" 
I'm going to let you take that one, Eddie. Do you feel like that's something the Ducks should consider? Or do we got to just stay with what we've got because we've already got that top nine settled? Yeah, it's kind of tough because I don't think you break up the first line at this point uh, with the way they're playing. There's there's no point in doing so. I think Henry, Cash, and Richie finally had what looked like a better game from what they were playing recently. So there's not really much you can do. I mean, you're not going to move any of those guys down onto the fourth line. You're kind of stuck with what you have. And I think the only way you break them up right now is is if you have a massive lineup shuffle where you, you take Perry off the first line, you swap some guys around, you mix up that third line, and you kind of just mix everything up and hope things go well. But, I mean, I mean, not much can even really change. It really just changes on the wings. You're still going to have Getzlaff as number one center. You're going to have Kessler number two, Henrik number three. And, and all that can really change is maybe moving Kasha, Silfberg, and Perry up and down on the right wing and moving Richie and Cogliano up and down on the left wing because I don't think you're taking Getzlaff away from Perry at this point. So we're not going to see too much difference if it does get broken up. But uh, it kind of just seems like that's always the go-to for Carlo, no matter how bad they're playing. I, I don't see it happening as as much as it might even be beneficial just to split it up at this point. All right, we got another question here from SNA Ducks fan on Instagram. It says, do you think if the Ducks fall short of the playoffs and or bounce in the first round, will GMBM be forced to clean house? That's, That's a, a big question because cleaning house as in I'm gonna go with no Getzlaff, no Perry, or like just Carlisle. So okay, we're going personnel. Okay, we'll go. Let's, let's I, go everybody. <laughs> you can go players. You can go coaches. I think I think let's, let's do both. Okay. Um, what do you think about that? I, I, I'll take a crack at it first. How about that? Yeah. So I just took a crack at the last one. Um, I don't think that he's gonna get rid of Carlisle. That's I mean, he got rid of Boudreaux and brought back the same coach that he hired or that he fired in order to bring Boudreaux back. Yeah. I think that Carlisle is going to get the benefit of the injuries, like you said earlier in the show, that uh, the Ducks, like he really feels that they have more to give. That's why we didn't make a giant trade of the trade deadline, is he felt this team, you know, owed themselves and the club more and to show they could perform. And that's why he brought in all his, uh, gritty McGritterton leadership guys in at the trade deadline rather than somebody who's valuable like maybe an Evander Kane or a Thomas Tatar or something we've gone over a million times on the show. Um, I think if anything happens here, you're just going to see... I think you're going to see guys that we would think are going to be signed are going to get moved for other people coming on. Maybe a Nick Ritchie trade. He's an RFA. Yeah. Um, nobody wants to see Kasha traded, but his value is probably high right now and we don't know really what he is considering this is only his first season with Anaheim playing up at the big club. Um, he's pr- his value is probably high right now. You could probably get something valuable for him to bring in another player. Uh, or maybe even Montour. Um, he's been showcased, and I would hate to see it, and I really don't see it happening because the Ducks finally have a solid four that they can put on the ice every night. And Carlisle and Bob Murray love their defensemen. Um, I can't see them trading Montour, but that's like the furthest reach I would go there. But I would definitely see a guy like Richie or Kasha being traded in order to bring in other talent if this team decides to falter, uh, either by missing the playoffs or come playoff time. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you, be, just kind of based off what we've heard from Murray so far this season, especially in his comments to The Athletic, where he says he really thinks this team has what it takes, but he, he almost just kind of rode off this season to the injuries, and that was it. Um, I think that was a little bit of a cop-out because I think there's a lot more than just the injuries at fault for, for the way the Ducks are playing and the fact that they might miss the playoffs. 
But, yeah, I mean, if, if it kind of just feels like Carlisle is safe, at least for next season. I mean, if they don't make the playoffs next season or they get bounced in the first round, then I think this question comes a little bit more relevant and whether he bounces Carlisle or not, especially if the team's healthy all year. I think then you can actually pass the blame and say, hey, yeah, this is on you, this is on the players, this is on this guy, that guy. And I think you could really see some of the big names move. But, yeah, as, as for this season... I, I think you're right. I think if you see any of the guys who are currently in the top nine or top four, it, it's really Richie. It, it could be Kasha if that's a, what a, a team is asking for. Because I think if, if you're going to trade him, like you said, you sell high now and hope that he doesn't turn into another William Carlson situation where he becomes a consistent 30-goal scorer down the road. But, yeah, I, I feel like that's it. I, I feel like, And I honestly, in my opinion, don't think any of those big moves even happen unless you can bring in a guy like Pacioretty who we were linked with at the deadline. But it, it almost just seems like that isn't something the Ducks are going to do anyway. No, and, you know, it's kind of, to you know, put a cherry on top of that question is you're looking at a, at a cap situation where all these guys have uh, no, move, no movement clauses. You're yeah. going to have to convince Ryan Getzloff, who, who just bought a new house there in Orange County. You're going to have to convince Corey Perry, who just had his first child here in Southern California and is locked in a, a long-term lucrative contract. You're going to have to convince Ryan Kessler, who's just settled in here with his family. These are all big-name, big-money guys, but they're all almost impossible to move unless you get there okay. And unless you're going to try to run them out of Anaheim, uh, which isn't good for business, really. I mean, when you're talking about moving star players out like that um, because of maybe your cat mismanagement and you want to bring in younger guys or whatever, that doesn't look good on the organization. So I really feel like nothing like that's going to happen majorly. They can only really toy with the guys that are RFAs or UFAs. And I don't think they're going to do that. And besides that, I mean, what are they going to do? Move Lindholm or Manson or another guy that doesn't have a – or Raquel? I mean, there's no way they're yeah, going to do that. Yeah. It's just not happening. Yeah, that that's kind of off limits. I think if there's two guys on this team that are untouchable, it's Lindholm and Raquel. And then to yeah. some extent as well, John Gibson. I think those are the three guys that you just can't touch, can't move. They're a big part of not just the team now but down the road as well. And they're really the, – the guys that are going to poise this team – for a quick transition rather than a, a long rebuild, like a five to ten year rebuild, I think those are the, the cornerstones of the next uh, the next team in Anaheim to really compete for a Stanley Cup. Have we got any more questions here in the chat, or are we all good? We're all good. I think everybody's just kind of trying to to get over the back to back losses. We were a little bit a little bit lonely in the chat last night as well, and, and understandable. I mean, a lot of people are just disappointed in the last two losses, so I don't blame them for, for not wanting to come into the chat. No, it's true, man. It puts a totally different vibe on the show when we end up harping on all the negative aspects of the Ducks, and I'm like, okay, i got to find something positive. Let's talk about Corey <laughs> Perry. Let's talk about the eSports League. Let's talk about something fun. Uh, just because it's hard coming away from uh, not getting points in back-to-back games. But we got to give a shout-out to everybody who participated tonight, all the people who tuned in live. We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. We know we're brand new. And uh, thanks for giving us a chance. Eddie and I love it, and we appreciate it. Uh, Eddie, tell everybody where they can find us. Yep. So, I mean, most of you are probably coming in from Twitter. So if you're not, we're at Forever Mighty FM on Twitter. We post a lot of our stuff there. So if you're looking for any gifts during the game, we're not necessarily live tweeting, but you'll see a lot of the action. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook now as well at Forever Mighty on Facebook. Uh, we're on Spreaker is where you can find the shows the day after. So if you're listening to this live and you want to see some of our previous shows, we're on Spreaker. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, we're on iTunes as well now and, and Google Play. We finally got the email on the last show, which I broke the news to Patrick. He didn't know we had got the email. No, no, and I we're don't live know. On Google Play. But yeah, if you, if you guys want to head over to iTunes and leave us a review or rating, uh, if, you, if you like the show, then that helps us a lot, kind of spread it out there. I mean, like Patrick said, we're new, so just getting us out there, getting our name out there is, is big at this point. All right, guys, so we'll be sure that you guys enjoy your uh, your off weekend. You don't have to worry about us uh, you know, tuning in at all. We'll be back and ready, though, on Monday night as the Ducks come home and take on the St. Louis Blues. And another, as we've said, game after game must win for Anaheim here. Yeah. And uh, that'll do it. I hope everyone has a great and safe Friday night. We'll talk to you guys Monday.